Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, and he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will repay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I have had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you for refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, join me in prayer. God, as the scripture reads, we thank you so much for your patience, mercy, and forgiveness. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit because only through the Spirit's power can we do the same and forgive others. And only then can we experience the true freedom that only a life lived in Christ can bring. And as always, we thank you. We ask that you open our ears to hear your word today through Ryan. And we ask that you bless Ryan, Amberly, Morgan, Ethan, and Reese. And we are thankful for their time here and pray blessings on all of us through this transition. And my last prayer, my husband um, begged me to pray. Go Astros. <laughs> In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I think we all have our own version of justice would be more just if I was in charge of justice, right? And in various scenarios. Uh, this is why we love the movies that we love. Or I think why I love the movies that I love growing up. And I look back through, I noticed that, that Tombstone was on the other day. At the same time, some other revenge movie was on. And if you added like a Clint Eastwood, like Outlaw of Josie Wales to that, it would be like the trifecta of getting revenge 
yourself, you know, taking the law into your own hands and all that stuff, which is always appealing. Uh, your outrage may be like the fans last night uh, at the baseball game who were outraged at a catcher interference call, and so they begin to throw beer cans onto the field, which of course stops play for a little while, and it's a little dangerous and all the stuff. But people are passionate about things, and so naturally we want justice, and we try to take matters into our own hands. It may be something more serious like the conflict that's happening in Israel, uh, the Hamas conflict, where hundreds of people are dying uh, yesterday and, and today. And we may feel like we have answers to that, things that we can personally do. Or it may bring it closer to home and we just look around at our relationships. So we look at our spouse and we look at our children. We look at our church family, our brothers and sisters, and the connections that we have. And we think about things that have been off, have been awry, that we could bring justice if we were just in charge. And at the core, this is a really good thing. We were created with the good sense to weigh things, to feel things, and assign weight to them. This is part of our dignity as human persons. However, if we continue in this method of keeping score, and we carry the weight inside of ourselves, day in and day out, we will actually become less. Our hearts will become smaller by the day, and it will be very difficult for us, therefore, to follow Jesus. Matthew 18 has a lot to say about this subject. And as I thought back through the past several weeks where we've been in Matthew 18, I'm thinking for Peter in particular, and for all the disciples, and therefore for all of us as uh, members of the body of Christ and as leaders in the church, these are some really hard words for us. Uh, they're great words. They're uplifting words. And it shows us so much about the character of God. But for those of us who are leaders especially, I think it's a difficult series of words. You take Peter from his high moment uh, prior to transfiguration and then his high moment at transfiguration where he's saying the right things, he's living in step with Jesus in the right way. And then on the descent from that beautiful moment, uh, Peter has been off kilter by the things that Jesus has said. And he continues to reach, he continues to look. And this is one of those times where we recognize that if we want to sort of soar with Peter and we want to say, yeah, Peter's my kind of guy, you know, he's, he does the stuff, he's always there, he's dependable, then we also have to kind of place ourselves with Peter when he misses the mark. But Peter is one of these guys who we appreciate because he's so savvy. He just knows the nature of things. He knows how to get along. And obviously people respect him, and obviously he was headed in the right direction. But Peter makes an assumption here, following Jesus' teaching on forgiveness within the community. So Peter hears Jesus say this stuff about forgiveness in the community and how we deal directly with our conflict. You know, we don't sweep it under the rug, but when there's something that's causing friction in the community, we address it. You go to the person first. We went through that last week. And Peter's response to all of that is basically, hey, I like this. I'm savvy, I know what's going on, and usually I'm going to be the one that's calling people out because I'm a leader, right? And so if there's sin in the community, it's going to be my chance to call it out, and I kind of know what's going on here. I'm the one calling the shots, and if any wrong is done in the community, I will most likely be the offended party, Peter, and I will not most likely be the offender. So he's responding to this previous teaching and this is how we're going to handle sin as a community of believers. And then Peter brings it 
he kind of circles back and he says, okay, Jesus, well, let's make it a little more personal. So what do I do when someone sins against me? And you can, someone in the community, and of course you can hear Peter saying, like, obviously the offense is going to come from somewhere else. It's not going to come from me. So what do I do when so-and-so sins against me? How many times should I forgive that person? And, you know, it was kind of customary rabbinic, uh, in, in the rabbinic literature at the time that, like, if you forgave someone three times, you were, you were kind of doing your part. Like, you were keeping score and you forgive somebody three times, that was pretty good. And so Peter, I think, even thinks he's being kind of generous. So he says, yeah, you know, maybe I should forgive somebody seven times. That's like doubling the national average and adding one for good measure. And he's thinking, I, this ought to be pretty good. Like, I can keep score. I can forgive someone seven times. Anybody can suffer through anything as long as you have the end in sight. Seven times sounds good. And I think at this moment, Jesus has a little fun with Peter. You know, he decides to invoke a little hyperbole and say, all right, if you want to play that game, Peter, let's talk. No, it's not seven. Try seven times 70. Let's just think of a number that's impossible for you to manage. And we'll go there. We'll throw it out there. Um, and I think what he's telling Peter is, you know, if you're keeping score, then you're missing the point. When it comes to the territory of forgiveness, if you're keeping score, you're going to miss out on what's really there. And man, as I was reading this story this week, do I love to keep score. I am a scorekeeping person. If you ever play games with me, I want, I want to keep score. I don't want to play cards for fun. I want to play cards for scores. I want to play basketball with a score. Anything we do, I want there to be a score because it's just more fun. Um, and uh, so unfortunately, that's reflected in some of my other practices. But anyways... The story that Jesus tells in response to Peter's inquiry and to sort of bring him back to reality in the kingdom of heaven, he said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he paints a picture and he shows us these three characters in the story. Now, the first character we learn about is a king who is going to settle his accounts. So he's ready to kind of clear the slate. We're moving on. I need to sell my accounts. And, uh, and, you know, again, I think Peter is, is riding on the assumption that when, when someone's in charge like that, like Peter sees himself in, in the king role, I think. Uh, and so we go on and he begins to settle. There's someone who owes him a, an amount that is just so absurd that it's unreachable, it's unpayable. The word in, in the text is myriad. He owes him a myriad, which is the largest number in Greek. It's, it's just, there's not a number bigger than that. And so it's, it's an absurd number. If we want to try to calculate it into today's numbers, I'm thinking it's like 60 million, something like that. So unless you're Elon Musk, you're not going to cover that. Okay. It's a major, massive debt. There's an official who works for the king, and this is the debt that he owes. This is more debt than just your fantasy football snafu where you picked Aaron Rodgers and that's not working out this year. You know, this is a major life. I mean, you'll never get out from under this debt. The third character in the story is the official who is a co-official of the king. He works with the guy who has the crazy debt, and he has a large debt, but it's manageable debt. It's a payable debt. It'd be somewhere in like what, what you would make in the first quarter of the year, maybe the first half of the year in that day. So a difficult amount to repay, but not absurd. So it's something manageable. And we have this scene where the guy who has the massive debt, he comes to the king and says, 
please don't send me to prison. I know that's like the only way you're going to recoup this debt is to get some servant work out of me, some slave work out of me. But please, my family and saving face and everything, please don't send me to prison. And, and the king is merciful and he relents and, and he lets the guy off the hook. He releases him and he forgives the debt, right? It's gone. It's done. And so, of course, then the servant comes out, this this official who has just been forgiven, and he goes and he runs into somebody that owes him a little bit of money. And his response is to literally grab him around the neck and say, you better pay me what I owe or I'm sending you to prison. It's not going to go well for you. We're getting into some mob level activity here. Uh, This guy trying to um, get what is owed to him. And the guy, of course, begs and says, please be patient with me. I'll pay you back. Uh, The guy refuses, and the first official sends the second official to prison, and we go on. Well, of course, word gets out among all the king's officials and employees, and hey, did you hear what what this guy that was just forgiven this massive sum of debt, what he did to the other guy that owed him money? And the king hears about it, and of course, he is not pleased. He summons this guy, and he he calls him a wicked servant. I forgave you the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger then, the master delivers him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt, which would be never. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Again, I think Peter has been thinking all along, I'm most like the king. And I think Jesus tells the story to remind Peter and to remind me, you are like the king's official, Peter. You are like the one with the myriad of debt. And unless you wrestle with that reality and you come to terms with the weight of your forgiven debt, you will not ever be able to forgive from your heart because your heart will be so debt heavy, it will not savvy forgiving debt. And if you don't forgive from your heart, the judgment will not be pleasant for you. Forgiveness, we learn and are reminded in the story, is is not something that happens naturally. Forgiveness is a choice. It's something that we learn to do. It's something where we learn to let something go, where I learn to release my appraisal, particularly of another person. And I don't release the appraisal because my appraisal has a wrong sense, but I release my appraisal because Jesus' appraisal is greater and more final, and he can handle it way better than I can, and I don't have it in the tank to handle it the way it needs to be handled. In other words, I am not the one that returns at the end of all things to judge the living and the dead. Thanks be to God. Now, learning to forgive The choice to forgive, as we've discussed many times, does not mean that whatever has happened to us is not a big deal. It does not mean that everything's just okay and we should pretend that nothing happened. Because in many cases, something did happen and it was very serious and it was worth this kind of attention. What it also does not mean is that we will be reconciled to every person that we have to forgive, right? Sometimes, And many times, thank goodness, in the community of faith, we reach reconciliation. We're able to go to each other and say, you know, this really knocked me off kilter and I didn't appreciate this. And we we work it out together. 
And that's possible and part of the healing of Jesus. But sometimes we just can't reconcile because the other party is not available or interested in doing that. Heck, sometimes we have to forgive people who are no longer living. I know I found myself this week when I was working on this material, going through the process of trying to forgive people from churches that I have served that have long since gone on to be with the Lord, that for things that they did in the church community that they never should have done, things that I held against them and I didn't even realize, and I'm going back through and I'm going, I need to release that thing. I need to release them. Well, I, they're not here anymore for me to reconcile with, but I can turn loose of the weight that I'm carrying and the debt that I'm trying to be, have atoned in my own heart. Peter owed an insurmountable debt. I owe an insurmountable debt. We together owe an insurmountable debt. And so our task, our way forward, is to be comfortable, to be at home, and to grow and to learn the territory of forgiveness. Um, I've been preparing the last few weeks to take our youngest daughter on a backpacking trip in uh, Colorado. And so the first thing I did when I was going to select a trail is I got the old topographical map out, you know, so that I could look at elevation and I could look at the different things and try to imagine what the weather's going to be like in October and what we're going to need to do. And so I'm familiarizing myself with the territory of the Wimanooch wilderness because I don't live there. And so it's, I'm going there as a guest. I will be a stranger in a land that is inhabited by, you know, other living things like bears and fish and all that stuff. And so I need to learn the territory. And I think sometimes when we get in the subject of forgiveness, it's one of those things that we have to swim in. You know, we have to climb in, we have to hike in, we have to learn the terrain, and we have to experience the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs and the recognition of the weight that is being lifted from our own hearts as we are being forgiven our debts and the room that that therefore makes in our soul to forgive others. I love that the way the Presbyterians pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, which, uh, and I love the way we pray it too. I prefer to pray, forgive us our trespasses, because on a daily basis for me, that helps me account for the trespasses from that day. The things that I did wrong are the things that I missed out on that I need forgiveness for. So forgive me my trespasses, and I'll forgive others that have trespassed against me. But I also love the sense that we get when we pray, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, because debt takes into account all the things that I have accumulated over the years, including my original sin, including all the things that I have. And it's just a good reminder that my debt in its entirety is being released, is being forgiven. And so that helps me to picture what it might look like to forgive the debt of others who are in my sphere, who are in my community. We are able to do this, again, not because the offenses against us are small, but because they are great and serious, and because good Christian theology requires us to remember that justice is surely coming, that Jesus is more angered at evil and the debts of sin than I am, and that we are. And so there's this great connection that Jesus shows us between, I have been forgiven for a debt that I could not pay, and I choose to live, therefore, in the country of forgiveness. It's not automatic. It takes active participation. It takes the purification and the healing of the depths of our heart and mind. Even our memory itself is usually in need of some healing. One of the things I love about Holy Communion 
when we come to this table anticipating to experience again the forgiveness of Jesus as Jesus asked us as often as we participate in this activity to do this in remembrance of Jesus, to engage our memory in Jesus' passion and his death and his resurrection. And that slowly works its way even to the depths of our memory. As we remember the passion of Jesus, we contemplate the weight of our debt. We experience then the release, the feeling of a balanced ledger that was hopelessly in the red. This work creates space in our soul and mind to carefully and thoughtfully forgive others, releasing them to a merciful Lord who is also fiercely motivated to judge. He's fiercely motivated by anger, a holy anger at evil and at debt. And this is good news. And good news that reminds us that we can let go. And thanks be to God.